Like, all right, let's, uh, let's make our way back to our seat. It looks like there was much peace passed. Looks like there was a lot of peace passed just now. See a lot of peacefulness. Everybody get to meet somebody new today? All right. Man, it's good to see some familiar faces out there. Uh, I'm so glad to be here. Uh, our scripture reading for this morning uh, is Mark 4, 35 through 41. Andy, why don't you come on up and read that for us? Please stand as we read God's word together. On that, on that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? The word of the Lord. You can have a seat. What a story, huh? What do you do when life's circumstances are too overwhelming. I have a friend named Craig in Memphis, Tennessee. And Craig has, uh, uh, he has a, a heart issue that, uh, that put him in the hospital a few years ago. And the doctors weren't real sure he was going to make it. He, uh, they discovered a hole in his heart. And the thing about Craig is, is that he's a triathlete and a uh, 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 a huge outdoors person, always exercising. He played soccer in college. We went to high school together, and he went to the church that I worked at in Memphis, Tennessee, and he's got these three little kids and all these things. And I remember sitting in the hospital room with him, and he didn't know if he would come out of surgery alive. And he was going through a storm. And I'll never forget that he looked at me and he said, man, I know God is good. I know God is good, and I know that He's sovereign which is why it's hard for me to understand why this is happening. It's hard for me to understand why this is happening. Why would He want me to go through this? I didn't have an answer for Him. A few years later, um, after He came out of that just fine, and uh, there was some miraculous healing that took place, uh, He found out that His son had cancer, His little four-year-old son. And uh, brain cancer, and it was bad, and, and... um, they've been at St. Jude, and, 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 and right now, thank the Lord, and with all the prayers of the saints, and God heard it, and, and that kid is now in remission. But what do you do when life's storms come? What do you do when, like my friend Gabe, uh, who's a pastor in uh, Columbus, Ohio, what do you do when your two-year-old runs out in the street and gets hit by a car and dies? When life's storms come, when the overwhelmingness of life hits you, and we understand that God is sovereign, we understand that He could have stopped it, 
We could have under, uh, we, we, we know, we trust Him, we know that He's in control, and yet, when these bad things happen, if He's the one in control, then who do we turn to for comfort? If He's the one who lets it happen, then where do we turn? There are some Christians who will tell you that God had nothing to do with it, that this world is ruled by Satan and that God only wants the good things in life and so we have to kind of just reach out and take all the good things they are all there for our taking and that bad things can be rebuked and these types of things. But we don't believe that. We believe that God's in control of everything. We don't believe that, that things happen here on the earth where God says, oh man, I wish that would have gone different. We believe God's in control. And I want to talk to you this morning about the power of Jesus. The uncontrollable power of Jesus. And I want to talk to you about what to do when that uncontrollable power, when when when, when the storms are being unleashed upon us, who do we then turn to? And I want to talk about how we can actually turn to the One who's allowing the storm to happen the text we're going to be looking at, uh, as Andy already read, was uh, Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41. This is the story of Jesus calming the wind and the waves, and, uh, and I hope that you get something new out of the story that you may or may not have heard several times before. What I hope to show you today, if you're taking notes, there's a little uh, thing in your handout right here, and, and on the back you can take notes if you like. I'm going to be talking about these three things. Number one, Jesus is power. Number two, Jesus' power is uncontrollable. And number three, Jesus' power is costly. Let's look at number one. Jesus' power. This story of Jesus calming the storm is really about the power of Jesus. Um, let, me set, let, let me help you set the stage for this. The Sea of Galilee is approximately 700 feet below sea level. 30 miles to the north is Mount Hermon, which is 9,200 feet high. If that gives you some, some idea, I mean, we're talking a difference of 10,000 feet from Mount Hermon to the Sea of Galilee. This large lake is fed by the surrounding mountains and by streams and springs, and, 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 and there's a mix of cold mountain air and then warm below sea level air that's going on uh, on the Sea of Galilee, which makes for huge storms. This isn't too different than what we experience here in Oklahoma, is it? We get the cold air coming out of Colorado, right? And it comes sweeping down the plains. It comes out of Canada or whatever, and it circles through the Rockies, and it gets really cold, and it comes circling down towards Oklahoma. But what do we have coming up? We have the Gulf of Mexico, the warm air. It's coming up to meet us, right? And, and we saw this just a couple of months ago uh, create a huge storm we are still recovering from in Moore, Oklahoma, where the warm air from the Gulf of Mexico is coming up and the cold air from the Rocky Mountains is coming across and those two fronts meet each other and a massive, massive storm happens. Well, here we have a sea that's 700 feet below sea level. The water is, 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 is warmed you know, from the sun and being kind of down in that little valley. The wind comes across, comes over those mountains from the Mediterranean Sea, and that cold air and the warm air meet, and all of a sudden you can just have a massive storm. 
I was watching a video about a, uh, uh, on YouTube the other day, uh, uh, there, was a, there was a boat carrying some sightseers across the Sea of Galilee during one of these um, really strong windstorms. And the boat looked like the boat that I was on when I was deep sea fishing in Puerto Vallarta well, just a few years ago. It was going, uh, you would see sky, and then you would see ocean, and then you would see sky, and then you would see ocean. And this was a big tour boat. By the way, have you guys ever been deep sea fishing? If you get motion sick at all, I suggest you not go. <laughs> anyway, that's a whole different thing. Um, this, the, the waves can get up to 10 feet high. And whenever you're in a small boat, which the disciples and Jesus probably would have been in, in fact, they have found boats that were typical fishing boats from 2,000 years ago. They have one in a museum. You can look at the pictures online. And, and if you look at it, there's, there's three sets of places for oars, and there's not a whole lot of room besides that. And so you had 12 guys squeezed in here. Jesus is going to be in the back, as we're going to see in just a minute. He's going to be curled up on a cushion after having preached out of that boat the whole day. And let me tell you something, if you're in a little, this is like an oversized canoe, and if you're in there in 10-foot waves, you're in trouble. Verse 35, look at it with me. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were other also other boats with him. Now here we have Jesus, obviously human, obviously exhausted, trying to take some rest for himself and his disciples. They've been with people all day. They need to get away. He tells the guys at night, get in this boat. We're going to the other side. They're going to cross that massive lake where they can't see anything at night where a storm could rise and get them in trouble. And the guys were probably confused as this wasn't normal to travel across the Sea of Galilee at night. But they complied anyway. It's very important to remember that they are doing what Jesus asked them to do by rowing to the other side. They didn't make a decision on their own to go across and now they're kind of facing the consequences of it when the storm comes. This was something that they probably wouldn't have wanted to do but did anyway because Jesus asked them to. Keep that in mind. Jesus lays down in the boat exhausted. He's worn out. If you look at verse 36, it says they took him along just as he was. What does that mean? Well, if you look back at verse 1, where was he? Look back at it, if you would, Mark chapter 4, verse 1. Again, he began to teach beside the sea. And a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. So what Jesus had done was he was being pushed back, pushed back. He finally just said, hey, bring me a boat. He walks out into the water. He assumes uh, what's called the rabbinical posture. And I'm not sure exactly what that means, but I think that his foot was probably up on the, on the, on the side of the boat and he probably was leaning on it like this. And, and he had a natural amphitheater as the, as the shoreline would have been sloping upwards. And so his voice would have carried across the water and it would have been a perfect amphitheater for him to preach to a large crowd. And he's been doing that all day, and he is worn out. And he falls asleep, as we are going to see. Look at verse 37. A furious squall came up, 
and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke Him and said to Him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? Look, this is some, this is some serious business. These guys spent their whole lives on this lake. They were fishermen. This is what they do. These seasoned veteran fishermen thought they were going to die. These huge waves are breaking over the side of the boat. They're, they're using a pail or something to scoop the water out. And Jesus is sleeping through it all. How tired must He have been? They have no idea how far away from the shore they are. They have no lights because the clouds would have been blocking any sunlight or uh, sorry, any moonlight or starlight or, uh, or anything else. The, the, the rain would have put out any fires on the shore. They were in complete and utter darkness. They had no point of reference. They have no idea how far they have left to go. This lake is huge. And they're not getting anywhere. And the water's coming over. And they can't see the shore. And they don't think that Jesus cares. Again, look what they say. Teacher, don't you care if we drown? Verse 39. He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet! Be still! Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. Jesus rebukes this storm and two rather amazing things happen. Number one is that Jesus' command was utterly simple like He's talking to a child. He didn't evoke the name of God. or, 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 or he, he didn't say, in, in God's name, you know, be still. He spoke with authority and He spoke to it like it was... Like it was beneath Him. Like it was submissive to Him. Be quiet. Be still. It's interesting. The second thing that's really interesting, besides the fact that He spoke to it like He was in charge of it, is that it obeyed like a compliant child. I wish my kids obeyed like this. I have three kids, Brody, Sutton, and Scout. Boy, girl, girl. I always have to throw in the girl because Scout you know, could go either way. Um, and I wish that sometimes when they're going crazy and yelling and screaming, I could go, quiet, be still, and everything would go calm. Unfortunately, my kids don't obey like, like nature does to Jesus. The storm obeys like a compliant child. And here's what's crazy is that the most powerful people on this planet have no control over the weather. They have no control over nature. And right here, as Mark is unfolding the identity of Jesus throughout this Gospel, we see that Jesus seems to be saying, I'm not someone who has power. I'm someone who is power. Jesus seems to be saying here, I control the universe. Tim Keller, in his book King's Cross, which is a series of sermons in Mark, which is where I got anything good that I say today, he points out that this means two things for us. He says, if Jesus is this powerful, 
where he's in total control of nature itself, then two things are possible. Number one, it's an either or. Number one, either this world is here because of a monumental storm, a.k.a. the Big Bang. Either, either we're here because of a monumental storm, the Big Bang, and we're, uh, and, and, and we're here by accident through the blind, violent forces of nature. And when the sun goes out, there won't be anyone around to remember anything you've done. So in the end, whether you're a cruel person or a loving person, it doesn't really matter. Or, Jesus is who He says He is. And there's another way to look at life. If Jesus is the Lord of the storm, then no matter what shape the world is in, or no matter what shape your life is in, you will find that Jesus provides all the healing, all the rest, all the power you could possibly want. It's either or. Either we were created by nature, or Jesus is Lord of nature. One is in charge, or the other. Either Jesus says, either Jesus is who He says He is, or He isn't. Either we are here because of nature, or we're here because of Jesus. Either one is in charge, or the other. Jesus is power. Number two, Jesus' power is uncontrollable. Look at verse 40 with me. He said to His disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Verse 41, They were terrified and they asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey Him. In verse 40, he says, why are you so afraid? This word in the Greek, um, it, it, it's deloy. It means cowardly, timid, lacking confidence. And in, in other words, he's saying, why don't you have confidence in me? Do you still have no faith? And this is interesting because during the storm, these guys are afraid. They're, they're, they're lacking confidence. They're timid. Listen, during the storm, they're afraid, but after the storm, what does the text say? They are what? They're terrified. Isn't that interesting? Before the storm is calmed, they're afraid, but after Jesus calms the storm, they're terrified. These guys are saying, who is this guy? I love what Tim Keller says about all this. He says as the boat is filling up and, and these guys are minutes away from drowning, he points out that Jesus doesn't seem to care. We've all felt like this before. We feel like God has, is absent. He's far away. He's unaware of what we're going through. All of us have felt at one time or another, probably, that if God really loved us, He wouldn't have me going through this right now. He wouldn't have done this to me. The disciples had to feel this way. They had to be asking, don't you care if we drown? You're the one that told us to go across the lake. Why don't you care? And, and it's interesting because Jesus didn't say, guys, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean for this to happen. Guys, I, 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 my bad. 
not only did Jesus not apologize, he didn't even try to empathize. He didn't go, man, I get it. I get how scared you are, man. That's understandable. You're about to die. I get it. Instead, he says, why are you so afraid? And you go, really, Jesus? Are you being serious? Because surely these guys are thinking to themselves after that question going, what do you mean, why are we afraid? We almost drowned. We were afraid you didn't love us, man, because if you loved us, you wouldn't have let these things happen to us. And we've all said that, haven't we? Haven't we? Jesus, if you really loved me, you wouldn't make me go through this where my kid is sick or my kid dies or my mother was taken from me or this girl broke my heart like this. God, if you really loved me, you wouldn't be doing this to me. And Jesus seems to be saying here that your whole premise is wrong when you say that. Jesus seems to be saying you should have known better. I do allow people I love to go through storms. Jesus seems to be saying you had no reason to panic. If these disciples uh, had uh, little reason to panic during the storm, they certainly had no reason to be afraid after it had died down. But these guys are terrified. Why are they more terrified in the calm than in the storm well one of the reasons is is because they're starting to realize that jesus is power that jesus just allowed them to go through something that that they were scared to death of and their 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 fear is growing by the minute the more they're aware of what's going on because the storm had immense power. They couldn't control it. But Jesus has immensely more power. And they definitely have no control over Him. You see? Why were these guys more terrified in the calm than in the storm? Because Jesus was as unmanageable as the storm itself. The storm had immense power. They couldn't control it. Jesus has immensely more power. And they had even less control over Him. Now there's a couple of main differences we have to see between the storm and Jesus if we're going to understand how to apply this to our lives. The storm doesn't love you. Jesus does. Nature will wear you down and destroy you. Just ask the people and more. Just ask my friend Andrew Burkhart who who's a pastor at Love and Justice Church in Norman, whose house blew down. Nature will wear you down and destroy you. Jesus never does. Never will. Nature is violent and overwhelming. Jesus isn't. Nature is indifferent. Jesus isn't. Both are unmanageable, though. Both are uncontrollable. Both are beyond our understanding. Both do things outside of our plan. And Jesus' love is unbounding, but so is His wisdom and love. If the disciples really knew that Jesus loved them, they wouldn't have been scared. 
They wouldn't have been scared. There's a, there's a right way and a wrong way to look at suffering and to look at storms in your life. Okay, Here's the wrong way. If Jesus loves me, He won't let anything bad happen to me. You have to stop thinking that way. It's a wrong way to think. If Jesus loved me, nothing bad will happen to me. Here's the right way to think. If Jesus loves me, He can let bad things happen to me because He's God. And He knows better than I do and He loves me infinitely. He must know what He's doing and He must have my good in mind. Wrong way to think. If Jesus loves me, nothing bad will happen to me. Right way to think. If He's in control and if He loves me unconditionally, then even He can let bad things happen to me and He must have good in mind. Even if I don't understand it. If you get mad at Jesus for allowing suffering to come, then at least you're acknowledging that He's sovereign over the circumstances, but what you're not doing is acknowledging that He may have a good reason for what He's doing. You can't have it both ways. If He's big enough to allow it or to stop it, then He's big enough to have the kind of wisdom and love to give you what you need and not what you want. If you're at the mercy of the storm, its power is unmanageable and it doesn't love you. But if you're at the mercy of God, His power and His deity is unmanageable and uncontrollable, but He loves you. He loves you so much that He sent His Son to die for you. He tells us that we are now sons and that He wants to give His children good things. We have His approval. We have His blessing. And sometimes in His infinite knowledge and power and wisdom, He brings us storms. Let's look at point number three. Jesus' power is costly. These disciples, we don't blame them for how they reacted, do we? I mean, do you guys look at the disciples in this story and go, man, those guys are idiots. I never would have done that. No way. We, we look at those guys and we go, I, I get that. That would have been me. I would have been the guy going, do you not care? We don't blame them. We're terrible at handling storms too. But we have something they don't have. We can see that this story is almost a direct parallel to the story of Jonah in the Old Testament. We have the entire canon. We have the entire Scripture. And this story is just like the Jonah story. Think about it. Both Jesus and Jonah are in a boat. Both boats are overtaken by a storm. Both stories wake up the main character out of a deep sleep saying, we're going to die. Both have mirac miraculous rescue stories where the sea dies down. Both stories have the sailors more terrified after the storm than during it. Both main characters offer their lives so the others won't perish. Jonah jumps overboard. Jesus goes to the cross and and in Matthew, Jesus says, I am the true Jonah. Jesus is the source of faith. And listen, you can't get more faith by trying harder. You can only get more faith by humbly asking for it. 
You're going, how do I have the kind of faith that will sustain me in the midst of the storm? You have to humbly ask God for it because He's the one that gives it. You can't manufacture it on your own. You can't, also can't look down at your friends who have less faith than you. Jesus is the one who gives it. Therefore, you can't take pride in how much you have. Amen? This will stop us from being legalistic and self-righteous and hateful towards one another and superior to one another. This will help you guys be more unified if you realize that Jesus is the one who gives it to you. Humbly ask Him for more. Uh, You guys ever sing that song, Help My Unbelief? Next time you sing that song, pray it as you're singing it. Jesus is the object of our faith. You can't get it by trying harder. You only get it by humbly asking for it. And when you do that, when you ask for faith, when you pray, help my unbelief, you'll find that Jesus has been seeking you. And you'll realize that He's the author of faith. He's the provider of faith. He's the source of faith. And as we look at this story, we can see that someday, He's going to bring calm to the storm. Guys, look around us. Plane crashes. Wars. You know, spies. This is all just the headlines I read this morning. We can see that someday Jesus, who is ultimately the one in control, is going to calm the storms. He's going to still the waves. He's going to destroy the destruction. He's going to break the brokenness. He's going to kill death. Amen. He's coming back and He wins. Because on that cross, He was thrown into the ultimate storm. When Jesus went to the cross and offered Himself in our place, He was under the ultimate waves. He was under the waves of sin and death. He was thrown into the only storm that can ultimately sink us. And He conquered it for us. To the extent that you believe that Jesus willingly threw Himself into the ultimate storm on your behalf so that you would never have to enter the ultimate storm, the more you will stop saying, God, don't you care? And the more that you will believe that He did not abandon you in that ultimate storm, the more you will believe that He's not going to abandon you in this one. Put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ alone. He will save you. Because Jesus is power. Jesus' power is uncontrollable. And Jesus' power cost Him something. Jesus paid the price so that you and I can now trust Him even in the midst of the storm. Let's pray together. Jesus, as we gather here this morning asking You to meet us, we're saying please give us faith 
Please give us faith. We want to trust You more. We want to experience what it's like to trust You when we are in the midst of the storm because what You say in Your Word is that the only thing that's going to win in this life is You. That the worst that can happen to us is to die and then be with You, which is actually gain. It's actually victory. And so you tell us in your word, what do we have to fear? Oh God, that we would stop fearing. Oh God, that we would stop watching the news and fretting. God, that we would trust you. Because we know that you are more powerful than anything that's happening here. God, I pray that if there's anyone in here who's never put their faith and their trust in the only one who has power, that they would do it right now. Lord, I pray for those of us who have been really, really scared and worried that needed to hear this message, that we would repent of our trying to control and give it up and let you be in control and just trust you and try to find joy in the midst of the storm. We love you and we pray now that you would speak to us and minister to us in the midst of the supper. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now what we're going to do is we're going to respond to what we've just heard. And and what I'd like to do is I would like to uh, read this confession of faith. It's going to be up on the screen for you. And and this is out of the Heidelberg Catechism. And I'm going to read the question and then I'll read the answer along with you. Question 36. How does the holy conception and birth of Christ benefit you? Altogether, He is our mediator. And in God's sight, He covers with His innocence and perfect holiness my sinfulness in which I was conceived. Isn't that beautiful? Woo! Question 37. What do you understand by the word suffered? Answer. That during His whole life on earth, but especially at the end, Christ sustained in body and soul the wrath of God against the sin of the whole human race. This He did in order that by His suffering as the only atoning sacrifice, He might deliver us, body and soul, from eternal condemnation and gain for us God's grace, righteousness, and eternal life. Question 38. Why did He suffer under Pontius Pilate as judge? Answer. So that He, though innocent, might be condemned by an earthly judge and so free us from the severe judgment of God that was to fall on us. Question 39. Is it significant that He was crucified instead of dying some other way? Answer. Yes. By this I am convinced that He shouldered the curse which lay on me since death by crucifixion was cursed by God. 
beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. Now, what I would invite you to do is to um, respond to God by giving Him His tithes and our offerings. Ushers, if you would please come forward now. What I would invite you to do now is just where you are, in your seat, you've heard God's Word preached, you know what you struggle with, you, you, you've seen your sin, just take a few moments and, uh, and just pray. Ask God for more faith, ask Him to prepare your heart for what's about to happen. This beautiful sacrament that is a huge, beautiful picture of the Gospel. Just spend some time. It, if you need to reconcile with somebody, take them aside. Go, go make it right. Don't come to the table today in an unworthy manner. So take a few moments. Pray. and If you need to talk to somebody, talk to them. And then we'll have the Lord's Supper in just a couple of minutes.